Hello, this is Dominic Kearns with the Rising as One podcast. Before we begin, we'd like to thank our partners, the Beautiful Game Network. You can see their stuff at bgn.fm. And Firebird Rising. You can find their stuff at firebirdrising.corair.com. And we'd also like to thank our new sponsor, Roughneck Scarves. And now, let's get on to the show. This is Dominic Kearns here with the Rising is One podcast, sponsored by the Arizona Sports Complex. The Arizona Sports Complex has year-round leagues for children, teenagers, adults, all age groups. You can even go up there for birthday parties uh, or just rent the complex out for a company event. They have all sorts of fields, indoor and outdoor. They have all sorts of programs to cater to your needs, and they are located in North Phoenix, so if you're interested, check out Arizona Sports Complex and let them know that I referred you because if you let them know that the Rising is One podcast sent you, an annual membership at the Arizona Sports Complex will only be $35 instead of 50 So boom, we just saved you $15. We just saved you 30%. So go out there today, check out the Arizona Sports Complex. This episode is a special Orange County preview episode, and I had the privilege to chat with Alicia Rodriguez. Alicia Rodriguez writes for the Sports Nation blog, Angels on Parade, which covers LAFC and Orange County Soccer Club. Uh, She contributes regularly for them and has a special focus on Orange County Soccer Club news. She can be found on Twitter, at Soccer Musings, and it's a really good follow She has a wealth of information. She's been following the club since their Orange County Blues days. So if you're interested in getting a fresh perspective on USL from one of our rivals, please check out Alicia Rodriguez at Soccer Musings on Twitter. And this is going to be a great interview. She gives some outstanding insights about Champion Stadium, their new signings, what to expect or what not to expect for Orange County this season. And then she throws a couple tough questions at me. So let's not beat around the bush another second. Let's get to the clip. Thank you all for listening. Hello, this is Dominic Kearns here with the Rising is One podcast for a special Orange County preview episode. And I'm here with a special guest, Alicia Rodriguez of Angels on Parade. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Anytime. So I think there are a lot of questions. I mean... There are a lot of questions for both of our teams, but I think there are especially a lot of questions for Orange County. Uh, First full season in the Champions Stadium, uh, some new signings coming in. But let's let's talk about the Champions Stadium first. Um, I know we opened up the stadium last year, but this is going to be your first season opener. What do you expect the uh, atmosphere to be like this season? 
Yeah, I think it's it's probably going to be uh, improved from last season, and I think uh, the team last year, they made a lot of big changes as far as uh, rebranding, uh, getting a new crest, and then moving into this new home over the course of the 2017 season. Um, so I think they've kind of laid the groundwork, and hopefully this season they'll see more of the results of it. And I know in the off season they've been really trying to push – uh, marketing, especially very locally in Orange County, you know, trying to get the word out about the team, and in particular about this home opener. Um, I think probably anybody who, you know, follows Phoenix Rising knows that all the other teams use Drogba as the pull for the team, but that's certainly something that Orange County has done in hyping up this match and, you know, get a chance to see the legends, that kind of thing. Um, but it looks like they, you know, they've really tried to do some work as far as, you know, filling out the stadium. And the, the facility itself is really nice. Um, you know, they, they have actual facilities now, which is really good to see. You know, no more having to change in, you know, an off-site location or in a trailer. You know, they, can, they have dedicated locker rooms and, um, you know, actual amenities. And, and the, the facility itself is, is really pretty nice. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's something that uh, hopefully they get off to a good start here and, and hopefully they can build upon that as the season progresses with attendance and, you know, hopefully keeping, um, you know, attention on the, on the team locally. Well, those are all really good insights. Uh, what is the capacity again? Um, so they're putting in some grandstands, and I try to get some, confirmation as far as like what that means for capacity uh i haven't heard back on that count but um i think it's roughly five thousand. um the the ends had previously been kind of like grassy berms and and um they said that like the whole thing combined with the grass seeding would be about five thousand. i don't know with the grandstands going in uh, you know for saturday's game if that's going to change the numbers substantially. I think probably not, but, uh, yeah, we may have to kind of wait and see on that front. So you're complying with the Division Two requirements, yes. it sounds like. Yeah. That's, that's good to see right away from uh, LAFC in its first season as an MLS club because, you know, you see some of these MLS clubs not really uh, – <coughs> LA Galaxy not really uh, meeting those 5,000-seat requirements and giving – USL maybe the respect that it deserves. Um, so good to see well, that. I, w- oh, yeah, I would say that, um, I mean, Orange County is an independently owned team, so LAFC is their affiliate, but, um, I mean, the, the people who are making the decisions for Orange County, you know, they're ultimately separate from LAFC. And, um, but, yeah, they, they are definitely <laughs> moving into this facility over time and, um, Possibly the grandstands, although again I haven't gotten confirmation one way or the other on that, uh, seems to be in line with with trying to hit uh, compliance for Division Two standards. Well, that's awesome to hear. Um, kind of in keeping with in point with this LAFC Orange County relationship, we remember that your starting goalkeeper last year, Charlie Leone, he had some great performances against Phoenix Rising in all three of those matches that ended in draws and he only conceded two goals in those three matches. Well, it looks like he's on LAFC's roster. Is he going to stay up there for the whole season? Um, yeah, 
Yeah, I expect that uh, Charlie will be on LAFC's roster for the whole season. Um, I think there's a chance he could get loaned to Orange County at some point during the year, but at present, uh, LAFC only has two goalkeepers healthy, um, so that means that Charlie is obviously the backup for the time being until the third goalkeeper uh, you know, becomes fully healthy and available. Um, I thought there'd be a chance that he might play this weekend or in the, the first couple weeks of the season on loan uh, to Orange County, but it uh, looks like that's probably not going to happen because uh, Orange County just today, uh, Thursday, so a couple days before the season begins, uh, signed two, two new goalkeepers. So they have three goalkeepers right now. So um, it doesn't look like they're going to bring Lyon down on loan because that, <laughs> that would be kind of a glut of goalkeepers. So he may come down at some point this season. I wouldn't be surprised, but I don't expect him to be down for Saturday's game or, or even in the coming weeks. Wow, that sounds like a big break for our club. I was... I was thinking that the the outcome could be a draw if, if Leon just stands on his head like he did a couple times last season. Um, who would get the start? Uh, it'll probably either be Casey Byers, who was uh, Lions' backup last season. Uh, he only played a couple games, but he did play the season finale last year, and he played pretty well in that game. Um, or it could be Andre Rawls, who is coming on loan from New York City FC. I figure with you know, assuming he's in town for the game, that's never quite clear until you get to the until you get the lineup sheets. But if he's in town, um, considering he's coming all the way across the country, um, and he does have some USL experience in the past with the Wilmington Hammerheads, I think there's a pretty decent chance he could get the start. So it, it's going to be one of those two. I would probably lean on it being Rawls, but it, it could very well be Byers too. Oh, well, that's interesting. There's a, it's actually a similar goalkeeping situation with us where uh, last year's primary starter moves to a new team. Um, you know, so the incumbent backup is in a uh, battle with a newcomer. In our case, it's Carl Wazinski and then Zach Lubin uh, coming, joining our team this year. Uh, and I'm guessing it's going to be Carl Wazinski, but both goalkeepers have had a strong preseason, so... It's interesting that there's a similar dynamic in Orange County. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's pretty interesting because I think Arizona, Phoenix, you know, over the last few years, their strength has been at goalkeeper. I mean, I think Wazinski is a really good goalkeeper, and um, you guys picked up, uh, what's Jake's last name? Oh, uh, oh I'm blanking right now. Um, your goalkeeper last year, what was his? Oh, Josh Cohen. Josh Cohen. Josh Cohen, sorry. Josh Cohen, he had been with Orange County the season before, um, so it was interesting to have him sign with Phoenix and then have him really take over as starter and, and really shine um, for Phoenix. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it seems like it's something that Phoenix has been, I guess, blessed with in recent years is having uh, having strong goalkeepers and sometimes multiple guys who could potentially be starters uh, in UFL. Yeah, we definitely don't take that for granted. Um, moving to some of the other positions on the roster, which position group, like forwards, midfielders, or defenders, do you see as Orange County's greatest strength, and which group do you see as their greatest weakness? Oh, wow, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think it's kind of hard to say. Like, I don't want to weasel out of the answer, but I think it's kind of hard to say at this stage because uh, 
new players on the team. Um, it's just hard to predict how things are going to come together and, you know, which group is going to take off and which group is going to, you know, need a little bit more time to kind of get their feet under them. I mean, I think, um, I think probably coming in blind, I would say the midfield, just because there's a lot of experience in the midfield. They have, um, they've got six guys right now who are signed, um, and they're all guys with USL experience. Some of them have experience in other leagues as well. Um, so, you know, a couple of them, a few of them are uh, returning guys, you know, either from last season or the season before, and then they've got a few newcomers who I think are uh, upgrades overall, guys who've definitely proven themselves in this league. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a matter of <laughs> just seeing how, how they line up, who gets to start, who gets to play. Um, but, yeah, with the likes of, um, you know, Christian Duke, Aiden Quinn, uh, returning guys like Zach Kobayashi, who I'm really high on, uh, Ami Pineda, Matt Spearman is back, Richard Chapel is back. So I think there's plenty of experience there and, and a fair amount of skill. So I think it's a certainly a promising group. So probably the midfield is the biggest strength. Yeah, I mean, again, it's. I, I just think it's hard to, you know, when you turn over 80% of your roster every year, um, it's just hard to, you know, say ahead of time for sure, oh, this this is a good part of the, the roster. But I think on paper, um, to me, it looks like the, the midfield is the strongest group. Fair enough. Uh, are there any new signings that caught your eye that you're really looking forward to see uh, over the course of this season? Because the one that I was thinking of is getting Nansel Selbull from Swope Park. Yeah, I agree with that. I think he's, um, you know, another player who he kind of splits the difference between being a young guy and a guy with uh, experience in USL. And so hopefully that means he'll adjust pretty quickly and, and hopefully start, you know, scoring goals right away. Um, there's, I think, also I mentioned a minute ago, there's, there's Aiden Quinn and Christian Duke. Those are both guys who have played for you know a few different USL teams, and they've been well regarded wherever they've played. So I think um, I expect them to be starters, and I think they're going to be influential. And then there's a couple of guys um, from Denmark uh, who I don't really know a lot about, so we'll see. It's kind of a crapshoot. But I think there's uh, defender Thomas Joel Nielsen, and another Thomas, Thomas Enavoldsen, is a forward. Um, both guys have extensive experience in Europe, and you would think if they're signing guys like that, the expectation is they're going to be playing a lot of minutes. So hopefully those those two can settle pretty quickly and um, offer uh, leadership for the team, but you know also help them get some results. What are your expectations for Orange County Soccer Club over the course of the season? Uh, last year, you guys just fell short of making the playoffs, but were a tricky team. I think you would have been a really tricky playoff matchup for anyone had you reached the top eight. What are your expectations for this team going into the season? Yeah, I think the minimum every year has to be to get into the playoffs. Um, and, you know, granted, it's getting harder and harder each year with so many more teams entering the league every season. Um, you know, so it's it's not... <laughs> It's not easy by any means. It's a long season. There's a lot of teams. Um, and I think a lot of the teams are 
very ambitious, and I would definitely include uh, Phoenix Rising among them. I think that kind of example that teams like Phoenix have put out sort of indicates to the rest of the league, and, the, and in particular the rest of the conference, the Western Conference, that you got to step your game up. You know, if you want to get into the playoffs, you have to, you know, raise your game. And um, I think last season there were a few reasons why OC struggled and didn't make it into the playoffs, and some of that was just kind of a fluke. You know, the the stadium opened late in the season, and they had a lot of their um, schedule backloaded, and I think that that really hurt them in the long run because they had a ton of games in hand, and it came at a point in the year where they had injuries and suspensions, and it just kind of crushed them. Uh, it, it was just, you know, the circumstances came together at the worst possible time. Um, I think this year, without having a backloaded schedule like last year, um, that sets them up in, you know, much better. But even so, they, they have to kind of prove it on the field. And um, I think at the very least, they have to get into the playoffs. And then once you're in the playoffs, you know, it, it's kind of anybody's, anybody's game. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think they definitely want to win titles, but they have to get into the playoffs before they can really talk about titles. That's a very good call. Um, so that's actually a good point. Like, I remember talking with, you know, my co-hosts about just how surprising it was to see Orange County fall down the stretch. We weren't as aware of the injury problems that were happening during that second part of the season, but we did see that the schedule was backloaded. And um, do you feel better about the schedule this season? Yeah, I mean, I just think that last season, I understand why it was the way it was. Um, and obviously, if the team had been a little bit deeper, they may have been able to weather it a little bit better. But, um, you know, given the budgets in USL and the calculated risks of, you know, signing who you sign and kind of prioritizing rosters in certain ways, you know, if you get hit by a few critical injuries, you're pretty much dead in the water. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, if you're trying to open up a stadium, you want to have as many home games there as possible. And so, you know, having a ton of buys early in the season makes a lot of sense. But, yeah, when it came to the business end of the season, it was like there were times when they had, like, five games in hand on every other team in the conference, and they were just losing game after game. And, you know, it was just, like, too many games too quickly, and they just couldn't keep up. Right. Um, let me see. What are your thoughts moving from Orange County over the course of the season to Orange County – for Saturday's game, how do you how do you see Orange County coming out as formation wise? Who do you expect to see in the starting lineup? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'm going to be completely honest with you. They've got a new coach in Braden Cloutier. You know, he's never been a head coach at the pro level before, so it's really it's pretty much impossible to predict who, who you know who they're going to roll out with in the first game um, and exactly how they're going to play. Uh, they kept their preseason results extremely close to the chest. I think they had, you know, a fair amount of trialists and unsigned players who were playing, so they weren't really forthcoming with a lot of details about their, their preseason games. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, Kluge has been uh, an assistant for several years with Orange County, so he's been with the team for a while. So it's not like he's coming in fresh. He doesn't know any of these people. You know, he knows the s setup of the team. He knows the players who are returning, and I have a hunch he was probably their main scout because it seems like he really seems 
to be pretty connected with the rest of the league, and a lot of the guys are picking up are guys within the league, um, you know, with prior experience. So, um, but as far as you know, playing style, we'll we'll have to see when when they kick off on Saturday. Huh, okay, so did you get to see any of those preseason matches? I know they played Las Vegas last week. Yeah, I, I did not. Um, so yeah, it's, if if you weren't there, you <laughs> you didn't get any details. So um, yeah, it's 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 uh, mainly on my part just been waiting for the games to roll around so I can catch the streams. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, with all of this uncertainty. Do you even want to try to give a score prediction, or is that just uh, one bridge too far with all the uncertainty? Oh, sure, why not? Um, yeah, I would say, let's see. I mean, you know, this is obviously an uneducated guess, but, um, you know, first game of the season, several weeks to prepare, I'll say, I'll say a 2-1 Orange County win. Wow. Wow. You heard it here first. A team that, you know, beat New York Red Bulls in MLS preseason, a team that got a draw in Ecuador, but not enough for mighty Orange County. Um, I, you know, honestly, I don't think it's as far-fetched as some might think. Uh, if there's one weakness with Phoenix Rising, at least at this point, it's our defense and specifically our center back pairing. Uh, we've been working with a few guys, uh, Duigi Mala, who was part of our roster at the end of last season, and then two newcomers, Mike Defont and Joey Farrell, coming from Rochester, and they've been they've been kind of duking it out for the second center back spot. But it's kind of been a struggle getting some chemistry in the middle there, and in particular, we've given up some goals on set pieces and crosses. So uh, I'm. I'm wondering if Richard Chaplow is licking his lips looking at some of that film, but yeah. So I mean, what do you? How do you think the game's gonna go on Saturday? Um, I, I think it's gonna be. I mean, you guys last season, and I don't know with the new coach and with some new personnel if you're gonna try the same the same thing. But I think you guys did a good job of making every match physical, kind of getting us off our game in the early going and just setting the tone in, in some of those matches. Um, and it obviously helps when you have Leon making big saves. But I, so I guess I would be a little bit surprised if it wasn't tied at halftime, probably nil nil at halftime. But, you know, hearing that Leon won't be there, that actually changed things. Cause I was going to say it's a draw, but I think, I think Phoenix has a lot of attacking prowess. Um, and just options we can bring in off the bench as subs the last 20. I mean, if we if we start DDA Drogbo, we can bring in Jason Johnson the last 20 minutes. If we sit Drogbo, we can bring him in the last 20 minutes. And so uh, I'm going to say 2-1 Phoenix Rising. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's totally fair. My only thing was, um, you know, tipping the balance was, was the home field advantage. And we'll see if, you know, that was obviously kind of a struggle for OC last year with all those games at the end of the season and just, you know, racking up losses and draws. So we'll see if they're able to actually make it a a home field advantage. But I have a feeling that they'll, you know, if not on Saturday over the course of the season, they they can actually make it a a home field advantage for them. 
I do too. I do too. I think I think uh, it was like you were saying, more a circumstance of bad luck and injuries and stuff than uh, Orange County just not being a good place to play with fans that you know aren't giving the team enough of a push. Um, so it should be a good game. I mean, I hear from some rising fans that think, oh, we're going to win 2-0, 3-0. I'm like, weren't, it's so tough to win road matches in USL. And unless you're playing one of those real bottom-tier teams, usually two teams, like the Timbers 2, Sounders 2, if you're not playing those teams, it's a struggle every week on the road. So I, I don't yeah, really I, get that. Yeah, I completely agree. And like I said earlier, I think with the ambition of so many teams, it's no longer like, let's just get you know 11 guys on the field and hope for the best. I think, in particular, the independent teams are working hard to try and, you know, stay high on the table and, and they're actually putting their money where their mouth is and in that case you know you, you don't come across very many easy games anymore so yeah well thank you for answering so many of my questions do you have any questions for me any questions about phoenix rising well i wonder for for phoenix with uh you know with dragua obviously being such a big draw like what is it like for from the fan perspective are you guys like we're still super excited to have this guy around. He still scores goals and, you know, is a big superstar. Or is there a little bit of a feeling that the circus is here and we're okay if it ends before too long? No, I think I think everyone is really glad to have him around, you know, fans and players alike. And the reason I say that is because Drogba is a very humble star if that makes sense. There was there was video of him after the preseason match in Ecuador going to all four corners of the stadium, and, uh, you know, he took off his shirt, and he threw it to the fans. He took off his wristband, threw it to fans, and in every corner he gave something away to fans. So he's also been, like, a really good teammate and mentor. Uh, that's what everyone says. Very competitive, but... Um, you know, he's he's outgoing. He's not really introverted. And, you know, if anything, he's good for team chemistry, not the other way around. So, uh, plus, with it being for sure his last season, I think everyone is really excited to see what he can do. And I think the mindset around here is let's go win the USL Cup and send Drogba out on a high note. So, yeah, I mean, obviously the circus aspect is going to come into it, but... I think that's more of a thing for away matches, honestly. At home, he's just one of the guys. That's really interesting. And my other question is a bigger picture question. Um, today, uh, Phoenix Rising released some renderings of a proposed stadium for MLS. How do you feel about the prospects of, of Phoenix getting uh, an MLS expansion team in the future? And... Um, suppose they don't get a team is this going to be a situation where you know there's going to be a, a loyal fan base that's going to stick with the team or might they find there's going to be some rough times ahead if if that MLS dream doesn't become a reality so I'll actually answer those questions in reverse order so I'll answer part two first um I had a great chat with Sam Dorr uh during the off season I think in November uh, he's the vice president of, you know, marketing and outreach. 
And he was saying, you know, obviously our, our main goal is to get MLS, but no matter what, we are going to be integrated in the community. Uh, we are going to put out a first-class product, and we want to engage with fans. We want to do everything possible to cultivate and maintain a strong fan base. And so that really won't change whether we get MLS or not. I think what's really cool to see is, you know, during the course of last season, you saw word of mouth spread more and more. And over the course of the season, more and more people were getting to the Phoenix Rising Soccer Complex. And I think there is a really organic fan base here. Um, Week by week, you just get a few more diehard fans every time. Uh, On our Twitter page, we're getting... uh, we're getting messages, hey, I'm a new USL fan, new Phoenix Rising fan, where can I watch the matches? So I think that there's enough of a strong base where whether we make it to MLS or not, you're still going to have that passion for the club. And I think a lot of people are responsible for it. First of all, the fans themselves who have been here, you know, from the very beginning, like Phoenix Wolves days, Arizona United days, when your Orange County Blues are beating us most times. But this ownership group has done a fantastic job uh, with outreach, and then it's just increased since Sam Dore came in. Um, So, yeah, I think the team does so much to make itself known in the community that no matter what, we're going to be a strong uh, fan base. And then as far as the viability of MLS, I, I would be really surprised if we're not one of the 28 teams um so i know i know it's 25 now that miami was announced but i mean we have stadium renderings we have our own stadium which is not something detroit can say sacramento and cincinnati are still going through some logistics with sacramento it's not having uh, a big time investor with cincinnati there are several locations but they haven't agreed on one location yet um and and to be fair Phoenix Rising isn't 100% set on this location. Where we play now is actually on a Indian reservation. It's on tribal land, uh, the Salt River Indian tribe. And so that's that's the reason we can't put our shovels down right now. We're actually waiting on them to give us approval uh, to you know create a stadium and hopefully an entertainment complex over there. But I think once a deal is reached between our team and that tribe, I don't think there are too many more hurdles now because Alex Zhang is a billionaire investor. He was part of the Nice ownership group out in France. And, you know, Berg Bakai, everyone that's already part of the ownership group, people like Diplo, Brandon McCarthy, Pete Wentz, uh, there's some big names in that group. And I think the one thing that they all share is like a passion to make this dream a reality. So, um, And and one other thing that bodes well for us. Last year, do you remember how Nashville kind of came out of nowhere with good press? Oh, sure, yeah. No one was talking about them. And then around, like, June or July, they started getting articles from Sports Illustrated, from all the inside sources. Uh, And I think that's happened with Phoenix Rising over the last couple months. There was an article that was published on The Ringer, about Phoenix Rising, and I think that was back in January or February. Uh, and then there was an article about Alex Zhang that was published on Planet Football and got picked up by a couple other national outlets. 
And then the stadium renderings today, uh, first broken by Planet Football, which is affiliated with Sports Illustrated. So it seems like we're winning the press war. And with all of the other checkboxes in place, you know, I don't want to be too cocky, but I think everything that the MLS would want is there, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. I mean, we'll see. You know, there's obviously uh, a lot of competition, but um, I think from a geographical perspective, it makes sense, and it certainly seems like Phoenix are they're trying to you know line their ducks up. So I, I absolutely think they're competitive, and we'll see if uh, if they get the nod eventually. I mean, so so if I had to give you like a timeline for this, I think it's. I think it's at least 70% likely that before the end of 2018, we get the official announcement. And that would, right. and that would mean that we would start in the 2021 season, because that's yeah. the number I've heard from people. Okay, well, we'll see. I guess you heard it here first if it happens, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, I, I'm not, that's why I'm not guaranteeing it, because we still need to uh, make sure that we have an agreement with that tribe. But I think it's closer than it might look on the outside. One thing that this ownership group has done very well is they hold their cards close to the vest, and when they release news, it actually matters. So they're not gonna yeah. they're not gonna release news. They're not gonna release renderings if there's no if there's nothing to back it up. Uh, whenever they come out with something, it it really matters. So I would. You know, here's an even more interesting thing. If Sacramento doesn't get the next spot, I think we could get an MLS team before Sacramento. Mm. That would be something. <laughs> I mean, I, I know Sacramento people would be unhappy about it, but, you know, if you're just looking at it from a numbers perspective, our media market's larger, we have a larger Latino population. Uh, more millennials in the area. There are already three other MLS teams in California, including San Jose Earthquakes, which is within a 90-minute drive. So, you know, I, I think a lot of those, plus we actually have a billionaire investor, which Sacramento currently doesn't. So they could still get spot 26, but I think if it goes to Cincinnati, then we could get 27 over Sacramento. Like I said, we'll see, uh, you know, time will tell, but it does look like, you know, Phoenix is doing all the steps that they need to, to, you know, to make it happen. So we'll see. We certainly will. Any more questions? You, you got me with some good ones. No, those are the big ones. I mean, those are obviously some, some big ones to chew on. Um, but, yeah, those, those are the main ones I have for, for right now. All right. Well, Thank you for your time. Congrats on, you know, the MLS team you cover, LAFC getting two big wins to start the season. Um, I mean, that's got to be pretty exciting. Where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Soccer Musings, um, and you can find my work for Orange County SC and LAFC at Angels on Parade. All right, you heard it. Go check her stuff out. She is contributing every week she has great content so by all means if you're interested about lafc if you're interested about orange county go give her stuff a look alicia thank you so much for your time of course thanks for having me on all right
thank our sponsor Roughneck Scarves. Roughneck Scarves is the official scarf supplier for MLS, USL, and US soccer. So be sure to go to roughneckscarves.com and get some of their products. We hope you enjoyed the show.